Hello goblins and ghouls and welcome to my haunted life podcast, the podcast all about real life paranormal stories and the history surrounding the story. I'm your host, Angela Hertshorn. Not if sure if you can hear it, but I also have purrs. Good snowy morning, goblins and ghouls. How is everyone feeling today? I hope you are all happy and warm and are ready for some ghost stories today. This month I am talking all about romantic, till death do us part and beyond stories, haunted love gone wrong stories, that sort of thing. Some stories are sweet, some are pretty horrific, Depends on the week. Today, we're starting off pretty sweet, though, so I'm pretty excited about that. A happy ghost story. How rare is that? I also want to apologize ahead of time. You might have heard it in the beginning, the, the little intro. I have a very loud, very cold, purring cat in my lap. So if you listen to it loud enough, you might be able to hear some of the noises. We'll see how long he lasts. But yeah, we're it, it's like eight degrees here. He is all about getting attention right now. So I apologize for that noise. Also, I'm not totally sold on the intro. So if anybody has any ideas, let me know. I feel like it needs some, it needs a little reworking. I'm trying to think if there's any other Housekeeping, I don't think there is, so I'm just going to start because I'm really excited about all of the love stories. On this week's episode, I'm starting off ghostly love stories with the story of the Don Cesar, Cesar, trying to say it with the right accent, hotel in St. Pete, Florida. This is probably the sweetest episode and most romantic of the bunch. It's a story of star-crossed lovers who never forgot about each other and the giant pink hotel that was built because of it. So, let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea, make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. The Don Cesar Hotel is very distinct among hotels. It is a pastel pink color, hence the nickname, The Pink Lady. But it's also huge. It is said that it is less than 200 miles from anywhere in Southwest Florida. So picture white, sandy beaches, palm trees, and then this large pink building rising above all of it. And it looks like uh, like a Spanish fort almost. It talks about in all these different things, this Mediterranean revival style. So it fits, but doesn't fit in if that makes sense. And again, 
pink. It is pink. It's actually cute. The Don The Don overlooks the Gulf of Mexico and is St. Pete's Beach only four diamond beachfront hotel. It has 277 guest rooms and suites. Some of them include private terraces. I feel like I just became a Visit Florida ad. It offers an array of amenities for guests, including two luxury beachfront pools with whirlpool. Not 100% sure what that is. 16 salon treatment rooms, a rooftop lounge with spectacular views, the Maritana Grill, Sea Porch Restaurant, Uncle Andy's Ice Cream Parlor, a Lobby Bar, Beachfront Sunset Tequila Bar, and a very big fountain. This fountain's important. And it's fair share of ghosts. Our story starts with a couple of star-crossed lovers. Thomas Rowe was born in Massachusetts in 1872. He attended university in England. He is described as handsome and dashing. While in England studying, he became a huge fan of the opera and attended performances as much as he could. One night, he attended Vincent Wallace's light opera. I've never heard of a light opera, so don't ask me. But it's described as a light opera entitled Maritana. Maritana is a three-act opera based on an older play by Victor Hugo written in 1847. I just had to find a synopsis just so we understand why it was so exciting for him. So act one, King Charles II of Spain, while out in disguise, meets and becomes enamored with Maritana, a street singer who he cannot approach because of her low station. His chief minister, Don Jose, promises to help his master win her love. Don Cesar, Count, I can't say it, de Bazin, a, a poor but witty and good-hearted Spanish grandee, fights a duel to save this young boy named Lazarin, Lazarin from imprisonment by a cruel army captain. Since a royal edict, forbids dueling during Holy Week, because apparently this happened during Holy Week, Don Cesar is arrested and condemned to death by hanging. Act 2. In his prison cell, Don Cesar is visited by Don Jose. Don Jose is in love with the queen, who in turn refuses his love unless the king is proved to be unfaithful to her, and Don Jose decides he's going to break up their relationship. It's a very confusing plot. Don Jose plots to have Maritana marry the condemned man, Don Caesar, 
before his execution, making her a countess and thus the potential mistress of the king. Because apparently you can't take a mistress of low station as well. Good to know. Without explaining his plan, he promises Maritana riches while Don Cesar's sentence will be commuted to death by firing squad instead of hanging. And there will be protection for the young boy that he saved from the fight earlier. The marriage takes place and then the little boy apparently promises to save his master and the execution is carried out. And I guess that's when the curtains fall. End of act two, act three. So at this point, Don Cesar is dead and Don Jose's plan is in motion. So the widowed Maritana is now living at the San Fernando Palace to be taught courtly manners being assured by Don Jose that her husband will soon return from exile. I don't know where that comes in. The king comes to visit her, claiming to be Don Cesar, but Maritana says she cannot love him. Why? I don't know. Before Charles II can force his attentions on her, the real Don Cesar comes in, for that young boy had cunningly removed the shot from the execution squad's muskets. Don Cesar has already discovered Don Jose's plot. He finds Don Jose in the queen's private apartments where he ends up killing him to save the honor of the royal couple. He is appointed governor of Granada which is apparently a long way from Madrid to assure Maritana's honor. I'm not sure how her honor, I don't know, it's an old story. By the king and all look forward to the hero's happy life and his young wife. So that's the story. This is the whole thing that started all of this. I just thought it was kind of important to get it in there because I know I was curious I had to look it up anyways back to Thomas one night up on the stage Roe found himself smitten with a beautiful young Spanish woman who was the leading lady in the performance as the last notes of the orchestra fell silent Thomas hurried to the back of the London theater where he waited for the beautiful young woman to appear there he met Lucinda. Lucinda was a dark-eyed beauty with long brunette curls. When she emerged from the theater, she noticed the handsome and dashing young man who was there to meet her and also became quite smitten. Basically, you know, love at first sight. And the forbidden courtship began that was stronger than life itself. Lucinda was highborn, a member of Spanish aristocracy, and her parents did not approve of the courtship and actually forbid them from, to seeing each other. 
So they began a series of very sneaky rendezvous. Whenever the London weather permitted and the Spanish parents were occupied, Thomas and Lucinda would meet under the moonlight in a closed courtyard with a beautiful fountain. The two fell in love on the beachfront property in a beautiful pink hotel, vowing to marry and return to the hotel on their honeymoon. Their affectionate nicknames for each other became Maritana and Don Cesar. As the secret couple became even closer, and as the opera's last nights drew near, Thomas and Lucinda made plans to meet after the final performance in their hidden courtyard. The two lovers arranged for a driver and a coach and were planning on escaping from London that night. At Southampton and the gateway to the Atlantic, the young couple had planned to marry and book passage on the next trip to America. When the final night of the performance arrived, Lucinda sent a letter to confirm the plan to Thomas, but her parents intercepted the letter. As the opera ended, Lucinda's parents were waiting in the wings and swept their daughter immediately back to Spain and into isolation. Roe spent years trying to reunite with Lucinda. He wrote and sent countless love letters, all of which were returned unopened. And one day, many years later, he finally received a letter from Lucinda. Inside the envelope was a newspaper clipping announcing Lucinda's death. There was also a note addressed to my beloved Don Cesar. The note begged Thomas to forgive her parents and promised a continuing and undying love. She wrote, We found each other before and we shall do so again. This life is intermediate. I leave it without regret and travel to a place where the swing of the pendulum does not bring pain. Time is infinite. I will wait for you by our fountain to share our timeless love. Our destiny is time. Forever, Maritana. With the news of the loss of Lucinda, Roe fell ill and his doctor prescribed a warmer climate away from the depressing winters of the northeastern seaboard. He returned to America and ended up in Florida. In 1924, Roe purchased 80 acres of land in St. Petersburg, Florida for $100,000. I had to look it up. That's one million four hundred and seventy thousand five hundred and eighty-eight dollars and twenty-four cents today, and began designing the blueprints for what would become his pink palace in the sand. Roe named his new hotel 
the Don Cesar after his favorite characters in those opera. The design of his new hotel also mirrored the one that they fell in love near, right down to the design and the color. To help bring his vision to life, Rowe hired Indianapolis architect Henry DuPont and contractor Carlton Beard. Together, the trio seamlessly blended the Mediterranean and Morris architectural styles popular among hotels in Palm Beach, Coral Gables, and Boca Raton. Among the borrowed elements, the hotel features stucco balconies, wily arch entryways, a red clay tile roof, and turret-like upper floors, which added to the Don's fortress-like appearance. Also, I thought this was interesting. To ensure its stability, remember it's built on sand, and apparently sinking is a huge problem. They devised a floor plan consisting of a concrete pad and pyramid style footing. And apparently it's worked because there's barely any signs of settling. I don't know why. I just thought that was interesting. It took three years to build. When completed, the Don Cesar rose six stories above the sand. And at that time, complete with 110 rooms and baths. A few years down the line, its size was expanded to include the 220, with production costs toppling $1.25 million, roughly 300% over budget. And of course, I had to look it up. That's Eighteen million three hundred and eighty-two thousand three hundred and fifty-two dollars and ninety-four cents. But to Thomas Rowe, that was a small price to pay for true love. The lobby courtyard and fountain were built as an exact replica of the one where Thomas and Lucinda would meet in London, a tribute to his lost love. The Don's grand opening was d- January 16, 1928. After the grand opening, Thomas Rose spent every night watching the so- shoreline thinking of Lucinda. He was seen regularly walking up and down the sand in his white Panama suit his little Panama hat, thinking only of Lucinda. This is the age of jazz and movie stars. And this is the 1920s. This is when it gets exciting. It's the champagne age. This is when the mobsters start coming in as well. And all of them flocked to the dawn, especially during the winter months. Rowe counted among his prestigious guests F. Scott Fitzgerald, 
Al Capone, Lou Gehrig, and even Franklin D. Roosevelt. The, it's such a weird amount of people. <laughs> I should say it's a, not people you would ever see mingling, but who knows, you know. Before the stock mar market crash led to the Great Depression, Roe had a premonition and secretly stashed large amounts of cash in a secret compartment hidden within the seaside resort. Some say that Lucinda's spirit whispered him a warning of what was to come. But I don't think there's much evidence for it. During the Depression, however, of course the dawn was affected. But wasn't that bad, really, to be perfectly honest. He had that hidden cash. But he was also a really smart guy. Roe had this idea to contact his friends in the Rupert family in New York, who owned the New York Yankees. And he came up with the idea of having the team come down and stay in the Don. And they would stay and eat there and then practice at a nearby field. This is where spring training started for baseball. And that really ended up helping to save the Don during the Great Depression. Brilliant. Now, Tom did eventually marry again, but she is referred to, I believe her name was Mary, uh, is referred to as a casual companion. It seems like he just never got over Lucinda. I don't know about you, but I really hope, I don't know. I would not be happy if I was referred to as someone's casual companion. I hope she got a lot of, a lot more than the hotel in the will. Just saying. Anyways, in 1940, Thomas Rose suddenly suffered a heart attack and died in the lobby of the hotel. He left the Pink Palace to his now estranged wife, Mary, who knew nothing about running the hotel. Mary made a bunch of poor business decisions and soon the Don fell into disrepair. In 1942, the U.S. Army purchased the hotel to be used as a sub-base ho hospital and then a retirement home for airmen returning from their World War II tour. After the war, the hotel served as administrative offices for the United States Veterans Affairs. It gradually fell into disrepair until it was vacated by the U.S. government in 1967. In 1968, the Don was slated for demolition, which the locals did not approve of. A group of concerned citizens formed the Save the Dawn Committee, 
vowing to help forge a path to restoration for the once grand hotel. They fought to keep the hotel in business and it was bought in 1972 by the St. Petersburg Beach Holiday Inn and then began the $3.5 million restoration project. In, in November, there we go, 1973, the Don finally reopened its pink doors for good. Since the 1970s, the hotel has come a long way. Renovation efforts included the addition of a massive 4,000 square foot spa, the beachfront restaurant, and a second outdoor pool. In 1982, Robert De Niro, James Wood, and Tuesday Weld, which I'm not overly familiar with, starred in Once Upon a Time in America, featuring scenes on the beach and the majestic pink palace in the background. For more of the rock and roll lover out there, in 1985, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers did a special rooftop concert on the hotel and filmed scenes for their MTV documentary, Southern Accents. The hotel's name was updated, becoming officially known as the Don Cesar Beach Resort and Spa in 2001. Today, the hotel remains a beloved Floridian staple and has achieved recognition as a historical site in 1974 on the National Registry of Historic Places and in 1989 it was added to the National Trust Historic Hotels of America to which it is a founding member. I can't help but think that Thomas Rowe would be very proud of his hotel surviving all this time. Maybe that's why he never left. The Don Cesar has had a long history of hauntings. While the Don stood abandoned in the late 60s, stories of lights shining through boarded windows began to be reported. And people actually reported seeing Al Capone hanging out in the lobby. Like he just came back for his favorite winter retreat. Others claimed that they saw baseball greats Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth walking the grounds. Like, these are huge people, and this is before restoration. Think this is the time when it was abandoned. These historical figures are just wandering around. Like, well, nothing happened. Probably residual, but still, it's pretty cool. Many believe that some of the ghosts are former patients, soldiers who stayed at the Don when it was military hospital during World War II. People have reported hearing eerie noises and unsettling feelings 
and even seeing a nurse from that era. On one occasion, a stewarding, stewarding staffer was walking through the old kitchen at midnight when he turned to see the ghostly specter of a nurse in a full uniform of the 1940s Army Medical Corps Corps, watching him intently. He screamed and ran out. When the dawn reopened to the public in 1973, almost immediately, staff of the hotel began re reporting ghostly sightings. During a late night dishwasher's very first night on the job, he decided to take a break from the dirty dishes and go, you know, take a cigarette break. After the newcomer finished a cigarette, he returned to the old kitchen to find all the dirty dishes cleaned and perfectly stacked neatly in the middle of the floor. His body immediately broke out in goosebumps and he quickly left, never to return. I assume it was a lot of dishes and cigarettes don't last that long. That seems like a lot. That being said, I don't think I would leave. I would be very thankful someone did my job for me. One morning when dawn arrived and the sun began streaming through the eastern windows, an early morning desk clerk found a guest asleep in one of the lobby chairs. When the staffer approached, the guest awoke and promptly reported, the shower came on when I was asleep and there was no one else in the room. After I turned off the shower and went back to bed, it came on again, but this time the bathroom door opened on its own. After that, I dressed and came down here. I can't sleep with a ghost in my room. When a veteran reservation clerk made her way down to the kitchen for a tray of cups and a pot of tea, she was shocked. Upon her return, the swinging doors opened before her approach. This incident was apparent, has apparently been repeated and has been witnessed on several different occasions. Housekeepers have also reported their housekeeping cart almost magically restocking during a long day of cleaning rooms or elevator doors being held open for them when they were rushing to catch it before closing and no one is around. When a housing housekeeping staffer was cleaning the fifth floor one day, and the fifth floor is the floor where Thomas Rowe once lived. She repeatedly heard knocking on the door of the room she was cleaning. She kind of assumed it was one of her fellow housekeepers just messing with her. She became irritated and went to swing the door open, but nobody was there. This seemed to really piss her off. 
So she went downstairs to confront somebody, whoever was doing it, only to find out that all the other housekeepers had already gone for the day. The housekeeper, to this day, refuses to clean any room on the fifth floor. I read in one article that no one else has been assigned to the dreaded fifth floor, but that seems like taking a lot of rooms out of use. That, that's a lot. So I don't know about that. Of course, the most prolific ghost is Thomas Rowe himself. In fact, most people attribute these experiences to Thomas still wanting to help his staff and check up on his hotel. These spooky experiences just aren't attributed to Thomas, but he is seen in person quite frequently. Since his passing, staff and guests report otherworldly sightings of a gentleman sporting an old-fashioned Panama hat and white summer suit strolling the grounds and even greeting guests. Yet, when they approach, he disappears. On one occasion, a new front desk clerk had just arrived and was out on the beach for sunset with her husband. The setting sun was low on the horizon when the new staff member saw a strange figure walking alone along the shore. As the sun slipped below the water, there was a man dressed in an old-fashioned Panama tropical suit with a cane and a wide-brimmed hat. The man was so out of place and unusual, the front desk staffer turned to her husband to get his attention. Look at that strange man, she whispered. Where? The spouse turned back. As the new receptionist turned back to the point, the man had disappeared. So, he's around. But, Thomas isn't always alone. After the dawn became listed on the National Trust of Historic Hotels, News stories ensued of a young couple strolling the grounds and on the fifth floor, hand in hand, especially at sunset. The man is wearing a traditional tropical weather white suit and Panama hat of the early 20th century, and the young beautiful woman with the long dark hair is wearing a Spanish style peasant dress. They have been seen also by their fountain, the fountain that is a replica of the one that meant so much to them and their relationship. One older patron of the Pink Lady describes a surprisingly heartwarming encounter with the spirits of Lucinda and Thomas Rowe. According to his story, the man was staying at the Don the summer after his wife's passing. The pair had spent their honeymoon at the resort after its grand opening in the 1970s and had stayed there every summer since. That year, 
marked his first summer apart from his beloved wife. She would have wanted to go, he told his children as he packed his bags for the beach. He missed his wife terribly and wanted to continue their special tradition in her memory. Just as the sun dipped into the ocean, the man checked into the spacious suite he normally shared with his wife overlooking the water. He put his bags down and changed into his bathing suit, eager to hit the beach. When he reached the water, he was annoyed to find it packed with young people. Grumbling to himself, the man made his way down to the shoreline. As he walked, he noticed an older couple ahead of him. They walked half in the sand and half in the water. The gentleman wore a white hat and white Panama suit with the pant legs rolled up. And the lady wore a beautiful pink chiffon dress over her bathing suit. The couple had a stately, almost regal air about them. And it seemed almost as if their feet did not touch the earth as they walked. At second glance, their feet were, in fact, not touching the earth at all. The man gasped softly to himself as the couple made their way down the beach. Their bodies hovered ever so slightly above the ground, leaving no footprints behind them in the sand. The man could hardly believe his eyes. He looked wildly up and down the beach for someone else to confirm what he was seeing. But he had wandered down into an almost abandoned stretch of sand and could find no other witnesses. By the time the man turned his attention back to the couple, they had vanished. Although the sight sent chills up the man's spine, for weeks to come, he couldn't stop talking about what he had seen to anyone who would listen. And although his children may not believed his story, they always smiled when he told it. Because at the end, he would wink and say, that'll be me and your mom one day. And perhaps he's right. I hope he's right. After all of this time, it seems that Thomas and Lucinda's love really did transcend death. They might not have been able to have their honeymoon in Europe like they planned, but Thomas recreated it the best he could. Lucinda's words really did come true. We found each other before, and we shall do so again. This life is intermediate. I leave you without regret and travel to a place where the swing of the pendulum does not bring pain. Time is infinite. I will wait for you by our fountain to share our timeless love, our destiny, is time. Thank you to everyone out there listening today. 
Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Next week, we continue the Till Death Do We Part episodes. And, well, for the rest of the month. If this story wasn't dark and creepy enough for you, don't worry. It just gets darker from here. If you have a ghost story to share, email me at myhauntedlifepodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in more pictures, info, and my sources, make sure to check out the website www.myhauntedlifepodcast.com and make sure to tell your friends and family about the show. Word of mouth goes a long way. You can also follow the My Haunted Life podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Not the best at TikTok. I'm working on it. I promise. (laughs) I really am. And if you like what you hear and want to support the show, please subscribe to the Patreon page. You can also support the show for as little as $2 a month. And that's it for this show. I'll see you next week on my Haunted Life podcast. And until then, stay haunted.